It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say right. I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Download the OTB Sports app now. In conversation with Brian O'Driscoll on OTB in partnership with Guinness. Always drink responsibly. Get the facts. Be drink aware. Visit drinkaware.ie. Today I'm in Dublin to speak to Katie George Dunleavy. Now, as a child, she was hit with no shortage of adversity. So how does a visually impaired athlete with disappointment in one career challenge all of that emotion to have a phenomenal tandem bike career in both the Paralympics and the World Championships? Let's go and find out. Katie George, thank you so much for inviting us to your cousin's residence in the suburb of Fibsborough. It's always difficult to know where to start with people that have achieved so much, um, particularly the, some of the adversity that you had early on. So I'm going to put the ball back in your court. When were you at your happiest? Ooh, that's, a, that's quite a tough one. But well, actually, it's not a tough one. I'd say when, we won, um, when I won my first gold medal in the Paralympics in Rio, it's probably the happiest. So achieving after years of setbacks in the rowing that I had before I started cycling and just the journey that I'd been on. So when I achieved that gold medal, it just was just so um, emotional and meant so much, I think, to achieve what I dreamt of all those years and all the hard work that I put in, the sacrifices, that was probably the happiest. The rowing piece, was that your first love? Yes, it was, yeah. I fell in love with rowing um, straight away and it was something, it was the first time I kind of knew about the Paralympics and I was watching the Paralympics on the TV and the Olympics and I loved the sport. I fell in love with it straight away and then I kind of thought that maybe that could be an achievement. I could go to the Paralympics in rowing and um, yeah, it wasn't meant to be, but I uh, yeah, had uh, many kind of injuries and setbacks in the rowing and but that's what got me into the cycling. So if it wasn't for those years of trying and not actually kind of, fa- you know, try- trying and failing, then I don't think it would have made me the athlete that I am today. That's a really interesting piece, because I, I would, I'd be a subscriber to that as well, around those disappointments fuel the fire. I'm sure for every person that has had success, like you have, in being able to turn that disappointment into, you know, achievement, there's probably plenty of others that have not managed to do it. But what, what is it about that, those setbacks that inspire you to greater performance and greater improvement um you know one of the things that they were i had a a lot of people that didn't believe in me and they said that i kind of couldn't and i was trying to prove them wrong with the setbacks that i had i just think it really just gave me i think i was determined anyway and i wanted to succeed and do what i needed whatever it took to achieve but those setbacks really did give me more fire in my belly for sure and I think especially when it came to the races to fight for those medals when you know you're you're exhausted and your your body is screaming at you to stop your lungs are bursting your heart rate's through you you know coming out of your mouth and your legs are screaming all you want to do is stop but to actually keep going you still had you know 20 minutes of racing to do and to not not to give up not give up I think those setbacks really did help drive me in the training, but also in the races that I did. Is it having a little bit of a chip on your shoulder? Do you think it's, is that something that you kind of look to the, the proving other people 
wrong thinking, people telling you can't do something and and kind of being put, put out by that? Yeah, it did definitely um, drive me. I did want to prove people that I could do it. I think, I st- you know, I had struggles at school and academically I, I struggled a little bit there and sport for me really did help give me an outlet, outlet when I was at school to help me through the struggles because I was um, registered with an eye condition at the age of 11 and I moved schools and so I was away from home and and um, I got encouraged into sport and with that I think it just um, really helped me deal with things so luckily at that stage I was given encouragement but when I was rowing I was also you know told that you know I, I, I knew that people I was told that I kind of couldn't do things and I shouldn't be where I was so when I was kind of into the cycling and wanted to prove them wrong for sure yeah. Talk to us a little bit about about your eye condition about retinitis, retinitis pigmentosa and yeah. and you know the disimprovement of your of your eyesight over a number of years. Yes yeah, so I was uh, diagnosed at the age of 11 just in a routine uh, eye checkup so I wore glasses from the age of five and they said to my parents, um, we think your, eye, your daughter's got this eye condition. So we got checked out at Moorfields in London. And, yeah, they said, yeah, you, you have this, your, your daughter has this eye condition and she could go blind by the age of 30. So it was devastating news for my, my, my family and my parents. And um, for me, I didn't really understand at that age what it meant. Um, so, um, yeah, I kind of was given help at school but refused it because I didn't want to stand out as being different I didn't quite like it you know I I'm with you and I, and I, and I was saying <laughs> I can see but I, you know but I didn't realise you know my I, I've never I've never known what it's like to see fully so um, this is what I've been always been used to it's, you, you adapt to it as well mm. and if it wasn't for this I wouldn't be wouldn't be cycling I wouldn't be on the back of the tandem so you know you have to so, you know, don't let the don't let these things kind of stop you. And um, yeah. I haven't let it stop stop me. And you know, just uh, achieving and what what whatever dream you have, you can achieve whatever disability you have. The adapt adapting piece is, is really interesting because it's, it's, I was a glasses wearer from the age of five myself, and um, and so I never played professional rugby wearing contact lenses. And when I went to get my eyes lasered as a 29-year-old, I went in to see the specialist. And he was kind of flabbergasted at my poor sight. And he said, the only way that you are able to play international sport, international rugby, is because it happened to you at such a young age, at five years of age, that your brain adapted to what you could and couldn't do. He said if it was a smaller ball sport, golf or tennis, mm, not so sure. (laughs) Rugby was a decent size. And then sometimes I thought... Maybe those gaps that I thought were there weren't actually there, and there was bravery in me that people thought, wow, very brave. Maybe it was just yeah. a lack of knowledge that the space wasn't there. But yeah, that, adap- yeah. that adapting to your circumstance piece really interests me because in many ways, you, you know, the, the ceiling that exists is, is the one that you put on yourself rather than what other people put on you. Yeah, yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, you, like you said, you adapt to it. So it's what you know, and 
you know, if you, you, you say to someone, oh, I'm going to do this, they go, oh, how, how are you going to do that? You, 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 you can't see. And I go, yeah, compared to you, yes, I see this, but I'll be able to try it out. I've got to give things a go. I can't let it stop me, you know. And it, because for me, it became about shapes. I could never see, you know, for the, nan- for the anthems. Yeah. I could never see my parents in the crowd, you know, waving down until I actually got my eyes and I was like, oh, there they are. <laughs> oh, they were there. <laughs> well, yeah, they were there all along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I'm... I'm I wonder, what, what's, what's your eyesight like now when you're looking at me? So with the retinitis pigmentosa, it reflects the retina. So I've got no um, peripheral vision. So I've only got central vision. Yeah. So I ha- they, it's, you know, fit my no field vision. And it's like looking through a, a straw. So I've got just tunnel vision, they call it. And then so because the rods and cones are affected, then the light light is affected you know my light perception is affected so in dull places i struggle to see changing light conditions are hard for me from going out say inside to outside or outside Mm, bright it's like a sunny day to inside yeah so if i walked into that kitchen from being out here it would be completely pitch black for me and how long would it it take to adjust half an hour or so so usually if i am away i kind of get if say we're in we're on a training camp and I'm outside and we're going inside a place I don't know. I usually get guided in and around. And a lot of the time I'll be walking around myself, you know. So it's just um, getting the help that you need and, and um, telling the people that you're working, working with or who you're with that you, you need help at times. How much confidence has sport given you then from that age of 11 when, you de- when, when you're dealing with that level of adversity? And even though you weren't perhaps truly understanding of the magnitude of it as that slowly set in how much has sport have you lent on sport to give you confidence and give you a big sense of purpose in 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 achieving your 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 goals oh massively hugely it's been a huge part of my life so from when i was a child at school getting encouraged into sports i started to compete and do some training in athletics and swimming and it was a real outlet for me while i was at school um i probably was doing probably too much at times and uh, from then on I did start competition and and getting into the routine of training and it's helped my confidence immensely from I was quite a awkward anxious child and then it's really really helped me in terms of being myself um, and then as I've got older the, yeah it's given me huge confidence and purpose yeah it's given me purpose um, and I love what I do I love the training and I love the racing especially so it's do you wish you could go back 20 years and, and start the cycling a little bit earlier? You obviously, you won your first world championship was in 2014, but it, that wasn't that long after you picked up the sport, am I right? Yeah, it's like three, it's like, three years. Three years, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know, you know, I, don't, I think if I started earlier, I don't think I'd be as successful. Mm. I think all the setbacks that I went through through the rowing, and I learned so much, it was a... The rowing, it was a kind of new in the development of um, high um, professional kind of elite sport. So it was the first time that a para- the Paralympics were in Beijing for the first time in rowing. So I had the kind of advice and help there, even though it wasn't really there at the time. But I kind of, I learned a lot during that time. So when I came into the cycling, I already learned, I had, mm. you know, was... Um, and, and also I'd been through the hard races and lost a, lost, lost a lot, but won a lot. And I had that kind of mentality. So when I came to the cycling, I was kind of able to push on to be the standard that it had to be to, to, to not to medal, but just to be in the races, to be on, to honest with you. 
So I think if I started earlier, I don't think I would be as successful as I am. When you think about the most enduring of sports, rowing and cycling kind of is in the, in the top of the conversation. So, yeah. like, the, the conversion from one to the other, that obviously says, mm. of course, there's the technique involved in it, but it says an awful lot more about the mindset in my eyes and, and your ability to put yourself into that really dark space and stay there for a concerted <laughs> period of time. That's where most people fall down. Yeah, it's very similar, the crossover. I noticed that straight away. And, you know, the time trial and the, the, you know, the head races and the time trial are very similar. It's like mental strength, um, it's stamina. And I love those sort of races, you know, I'm, endurance, I'm an endurance rider, really, I'm not a sprinter. Yeah, the crossover just was very similar. Of course, it's a different way of moving, and, but the, the pain that you have to have and endure, um, I think I just, it was just naturally just, I was a... Uh, used to it from the rowing so I kind of knew kind of what to do. Is that up there or is that a physiological state do you think? Partly physiological but you have to I wouldn't be naturally I wouldn't naturally have the watts I would have to work at it I've had to work really hard to get the watts and to get them up I wouldn't be someone naturally has the watts so I think it mentally is massive part of it sure yeah. So where you began in 2011 was it? What was the what was your introduction into the sport? Oh, literally, I came over here to Dublin. I did a ramp test. Um, had to borrow a pair of shoes and some kit. did a ramp test. And they said that we'd like to send you and Louise, who was my pilot at the time. She'd never been on a tandem, but she'd raced on a solo bike for Ireland. We'd like you both to represent Ireland in six weeks' time at the World Championships. So I had six weeks to learn how to kind of ride a tandem and then race it. <laughs> so it's in at the deep end, which is probably the best way. So, so who was it that spotted the endurance athlete in the rowing and thought about the conversion to the tandem? So I was over for Ireland in the selection in 2000. I was over with them training in Cork 2010 and 11, and it was in 2011 that I missed out on selection for the World Championships in rowing, and the paracycling coach, um, head coach Brian Nugent at the time, said he'd... Um, yeah, would like me to try it out. So he was on the phone to me, trying to get me over to Dublin. And I eventually came over in August and did the test. And in that September, I raced. How much does confidence play a role in that? In, because lots of people would argue, you know, you're in your 40s now. So if you, if you look at peak athlete condition, probably depending on the sport, could be late 20s, early 30s, you know, the balance of experienced miles on the clock but yet still plenty in the engine whereas you look at someone you know coming into their 40s but yet you're now it appears like you're in peak condition how much do you look back to the confidence that you've built over the course of the last seven or eight nine years and now has contributed to your current situation you learn so much over those years to i think every year is different and every paralympic cycle is different you just learn more and more about yourself as an athlete and what you need to do and what you don't have to do so it's just it's given me huge confidence and you know it's it's crazy to think that i'm still kind of at the top and beating the younger girls on the bikes and so i just i just i just really am just still I'm still so passionate about it and I'm still so determined to, to go next year and to win, win, win a medal or two. So I'm, that's the aim, is to get a medal and to win the time trial. And I'll say it now, that's what I'm aiming for. Do you know, I have to aim high and you have to, 
you have to go for it and Mm. And do you know if I don't, I don't, I don't get there. I don't do it. It's fine. I've achieved so much, and I've got so many medals. But I'd rather try and, and then wonder what if. So I've still got that passion. That's competitor instinct, isn't it? Mm. It's like when you have success, very few people that um, have that in them are like, well, I got this one medal. That'll do me. You know, it's yeah. about all right. You get greedy. You get you want more and more. And obviously, the feeling you get from challenging yourself to then it converting to success is you become obsessive about it <laughs> yeah a little bit yeah yeah you do for sure yeah it's um you know when you you're aiming for say the gold and then you get a silver you're disappointed you mm, but that's but years okay, ago, right? this, yeah okay. of course yeah years ago you had the silver medal was like a gold you know if you did get a silver medal for anyone else they're hard to get you know the medals are so hard to get so it's just not being complacent either because you do know there's still a lot of work to do on a few occasions over the course of my career we would have had horrific pre-season training sessions but it's a means to an end but your training seems brutal the whole time it, it seems vicious what stops yeah. you from stopping when the devil on your shoulder says oh just pack it in or do you even possessed you only have the angel on the shoulder going you're doing great keep going <laughs> do you even have a devil because a bit of a devil yeah it's that it's that's the difference between people that are able to compete at the very top level in your sport and those that wish they could yeah um i do have that devil for sure um especially i think after the major competition of the year so after tokyo i found it quite hard actually to get back i knew it was three three years to paris but still every year you have the big competitions you're training hard all year round it's not just for that thing in three you know the Paralympics in three years you're building towards it of course and I found it mentally quite quite tough Um, I don't know I I did eventually kind of get that passion kind of back for it and it is knowing that those dark days are okay to have that have as well I think Mm -hmm. and that that they do pass and it just it did pass for me actually in time and I just kind of go right be patient don't put any pressure on yourself and I just kind of got back training and just knew that it would come back and then when it came back I'm like give me more training what about the sacrifices then do you do you enjoy them as much now as you did before Uh, because all good athletes you know realize that that ultimately is they're going the extra yard that others aren't willing to give up to to pass up you know parties friends weddings yeah regular stuff that people get to enjoy in their down time whereas athletes a lot of the time have to forgo a lot of that do you are you as willing now to deal with those sacrifices as you as you were yeah I, I in some ways I find it a bit harder as I'm getting older actually as I've been doing it I found it fine at first um, but now yeah I I've, I kind of go well I'm missing out on so much still you know and like you say you can't go away for the weekend you can't do this and do that but then at the same time, I realise what I'm doing and and what a great life I have and what I'm doing and representing Ireland and going abroad and, and racing. And and I find I'm very privileged doing it. So at the same time, and hopefully inspiring other, you know, children or adults with a disability or visual impairment that you can achieve so much, you can achieve whatever you want to do. So I, I see it as a privilege and... Um, and I, I, you know, I'm very lucky to be doing what I'm doing. Mm. Um, Is that important to you that you're, the legacy piece around, for one of another word, being a trailblazer in, in you know, in 
Paralympics um, cycling, having come from a rowing background to show that next generation that you know, have some d- disability, that they are in a position to be able to achieve lifetime goals? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's really, there's not many people, you know, in the, in the spotlight or in the media. There's very few dis- dis- disabled people, especially visually impaired. So I think it's really crucial, it's really important for them to see someone like themselves achieving. And, um, you know, I started cycling at the age of 30, it was just turning 30. So to say, you know, you don't have to decide what you want to do straight away. You know, you can change things. It's good to try different things out as well. Um, I tell the children at school that and they can't believe it. They're going, you're 30, you're 30. They think it's really, really old, (laughs) don't they? And how long I've been doing it for as well. So, um, no, I think it's, uh, I think it's important. Okay, Katie George, this is the bit that we all have been fearing. Well, when I say we all, me. This piece of kit, the Watt bike, only came out about about ten-ish years ago, and I retired a year after it did. So, (laughs) I I, I have very vague memories of the pain that it inflicted. But is this something that you know, static bike that you would use regularly? Are you saying? There's uh, some of these at the Institute of Sport. So when I'm at the Institute, I'd wet, I use one of these. I used one yesterday, actually. And at home, I have something similar to this, an indoor bike. Similar to this. A pain, you know, pain cave in the pain cave. We've made the very clever decision to not get fully kitted out into cycling apparel. Yeah. Because that would suggest that we're going to go for maximum effort. Whereas <laughs> yeah. we're in standard clothing. Yeah. Limits how much effort we can really go put into yeah, it. So I know that you're predominantly, you're, you're a road race specialist and endurance athlete, but the fact that we need to try and find something to compute or compete against one another. So what's the best metric for us? Is it wattage? Is it... It's power, yeah. So I don't know if this will show the power, but yeah, it's power. Watts, wattage. Okay. That's how we train, and that's our training. When we're training in zones, we're training in power zones. You'd have your heart rate zones as well, but we'd be actually um, looking at, uh, we'll be training those power zones and trying to improve your threshold, but a number, a power number there that we'll be trying to improve, and, you know, the, the peak power for sprints and things. If you think back to your career over the last decade or so, is there any one moment that sticks out that you you kind of look back and reflect and think, wow, I stayed within that horrible discomfort place for an, a, the most extended period of time. Is there one race or one training session that springs to mind? I think the biggest races, um, when it comes to the, the big events, I, I, I'm usually, I usually perform, um, which, is, which is great. I think that the, the big races that I've done, the big time trials, the Paralympic ones, I think, yeah. they're the ones where it came out and I was consistently putting it out for the whole effort, for the whole duration. But that was down to, you know, the train, the, my coach getting me peaked at the right time and um, doing everything that I could that, inc- that I could control. And then adrenaline that comes with it as well, yeah, around you know, peak performance at, on the biggest stage. Yeah, adrenaline, you have the nerves. I always have nerves still, even now. But I think it's a good thing. Will we just try and see if, you know, what our max 
What is we can get it over a short oh, period yeah, of not? time? Is that good? Yeah, we'll go for ten seconds, I think. Ten seconds. Yeah. Okay, that ten seconds will feel like an eternity. All right. It will. Yeah. Give me good. I've all, I also heard like the likes of uh, Sir Chris Hoy when they were training they used to have like a mattress beside their bikes often to where, fall off yeah for, to collapse off yeah. onto yeah from the effort what yeah. part of you is competing in something where you need a mattress to protect your fall on total exhaustion that that doesn't make sense to me let's get the sprint done and um, <laughs> and get the mattress ready <laughs> we're going 10 Oh, 10 count then. Who needs a 10 count then? Whatever happened to 3 count then? 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Oh, very good. Well, I think you beat me there, Brian. Okay, George, thanks so much for taking me through my paces, albeit over a very short period of time. Um, I, I think it's pretty remarkable what um, you've achieved so far in your career, with more to come. Um, you know, the ability to stay in the fight is one of the great strengths of any endurance athletes and you have it in spades so uh, congratulations and good luck in uh, Paris next year I hope it all goes well um, continued good success thank you Brian Cheers. Thanks, thanks so sir. much thanks for joining me in conversation with Brian O'Driscoll on OTB in partnership with Guinness always drink responsibly get the facts be drink aware visit drinkaware.ie